Welcome to episode four of HPR Talks, The First 100, where we discuss the recent developments in the Biden administration and its relation to U.S. politics at large. Last time, we covered Biden's COVID-19 relief bill and its prospects in a polarized Congress, Trump's tease at another presidential run in 2024, U.S. pressure on Saudi Arabia for the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the vaccine rollout progress, and took a deeper look at Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain. Today, we're going to start by discussing Texas and Mississippi's decision to soften up on COVID-19 restrictions. Then we'll follow up on Biden's coronavirus relief bill and a divided Congress. After that, we'll pivot to a discussion about how that divided Congress has also led Biden's nominee to lead the Office of Management and Budget, Neera Tandon, to withdraw her nomination. Finally, we'll jump to the world of international relations and focus on U.S. sanctions on Russia, as well as provide an update on Biden's climate efforts. Just after the House passed Biden's massive $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill last week, vaccine rollout was progressing heavily, and case numbers were beginning to decline nationwide, a few Republican governors decided to ease up on health restrictions. Most notably, Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves both chose to end mask mandates in their respective states. Masks aren't the only things coming down, though. Governors like Abbott and Charlie Baker of Massachusetts are also allowing restaurants to return to full capacity. This news is especially painful to many Democrats, considering the extent to which things were beginning to look up. In a headline that dominated news over the past week, Biden referred to the loosening of restrictions as, quote, Neanderthal thinking. His administration officials have also been urging Texas and Mississippi residents to continue being cautious about the virus despite loosening restrictions. This has been one of the few times that tensions have escalated between the Biden administration and GOP states during his administration's tenure. It is likely that he will have to continue to walk this tightrope between making recovery progress and not angering Republican officials if he wants to also mend another pandemic in this country, that of polarization. However, this isn't expected to be the end of the tidal wave of loosening restrictions. From the White House's perspective, the loosening of restrictions that have already happened were a coordinated effort by Republicans. And according to Politico, Mask requirements in seven other states, six of which are Republican-led, are set to expire by the end of the month. Whether or not those states will end up renewing these mandates will be crucial in determining the speed of the United States' coronavirus recovery. The battle between the federal government and the states regarding rules and its impact on the pandemic recovery process in these coming months will certainly be something important to keep an eye on. The battle for coronavirus recovery has had some strength on the federal level, though. In a decisive win for President Biden, the Senate passed an edited version of the stimulus bill, which is heading back to the House in what is expected to be a quick final approval process before heading to the Oval Office. Lawmakers and civilians alike are hoping that the bill can be finalized in mid-March, with stimulus payments being delivered to many Americans before the month concludes. Of course, it's important to remember that the passing of the bill is not the last step in the road to pandemic relief. If anything, it's the first step in a long road to efficacy. Now it's up to Washington to ensure that the enormous economic relief package is distributed efficiently and effectively to those who need it most, which will certainly introduce new obstacles along the way. 
In a recent article, the Washington Post wrote that, quote, the sheer volume of new programs threatens to swamp federal agencies, including the Internal Revenue Service, leaving some lawmakers fearful about early delays. Democratic Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon, who also serves as the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, underscores this reality when he said, quote, implementation is the ballgame. You can have the best priorities in the world, whether it's the well-being of children or the needs of those who have been laid off of no fault of their own. It doesn't mean a whole lot if you can't get the benefits out so people can make ends meet. On the positive side of things, it seems as though more progressive Democratic representatives are feeling content about the passing of the bill, despite the dropping of the $15 minimum wage clause. In a recent interview with CNN, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont characterized its passing as, quote, the most significant legislation for working people that has been passed in decades. Sanders also attended that he hopes to actualize an uptick of the minimum wage in some other way than within the stimulus bill package. On the flip side of things, many Republican representatives have continued to express their dissatisfaction for the stimulus package arguing it represents an inability for bipartisan compromise and foreshadows a failure to successfully implement such a large-scale relief program. Republican Representative Matt Gates of Florida recently told Fox News that the package is, quote, a Trojan horse for socialism and, quote, has everything Democrats have wanted wrapped and branded in coronavirus so that people are scared into voting for it. It'll certainly be interesting and important to see how the stimulus package is implemented as states continue to loosen their COVID regulations and the prospects of reopening on both the local and national level increase. It'll also be worthwhile to continue monitoring the political support or blowback the package receives as it is actualized and people begin receiving the benefits of the original bill promised. Check back next week for more updates on that front. Another testament to a divided Senate, Biden's pick to lead the Office of Management and Budget, Neera Tandon, chose to withdraw her nomination last week, with Biden accepting her request. She had been considered a very controversial nominee given her past statements insulting Republicans and Democrats. According to CNBC, during her confirmation hearing, she was grilled on a past tweet where she had compared Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell to Harry Potter villain Voldemort, and another tweet where she stated that vampires have more heart than Senator Ted Cruz. She had also criticized Bernie Sanders in the past during her time as an advisor to Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. At the confirmation hearing, Tandon apologized for her past remarks, stating that, quote, I deeply regret and apologize for my language and some of my past language. However, given the tension in the Senate, as well as its 50-50 party line split, that wasn't enough to guarantee that she would be nominated. Centrist Democrat Joe Manchin of West Virginia, as well as Republicans, Mitt Romney of Utah and Susan Collins of Maine, all stated that they would not vote to confirm her given her past critical remarks aimed at politicians from both parties. Sensing this reality, in a letter to the president, Tandon wrote that, quote, Unfortunately, it now seems clear that there is no path forward to gain confirmation, and I do not want continued consideration of my nomination to be a distraction from your other priorities. Biden, respecting this wish, chose to withdraw her nomination to the Office of Management and Budget. Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, promised, however, that the White House would, quote, find some other place for her to serve in the administration that doesn't require Senate confirmation.
obviously, I think this entire tandem throwdown is a testament to the level of division in the Senate. However, some may also choose to see it as a referendum on the petty politics of insults that were very characteristic of the Trump era. Whether or not one thinks that Tandon's past tweets should have cost her her confirmation, the Tandon situation tells us one thing for sure. The standards for getting things past this Senate are much, much higher than before. Turning towards foreign policy with a focus on U.S.-Russia relations, the Biden administration has imposed sanctions on Russian officials following the murder attempt and imprisonment of Alexei Navalny. The Treasury Department specifically sanctioned seven Russian officials, as well as a federal penitentiary service itself. State Department spokesperson Ned Price said that the Biden administration's joint efforts with the European Union to condemn Russia proved that, quote, the international community is standing up to underscore a norm that chemical weapons cannot ever be used anytime, any place, and by anyone. It'll be interesting to see where the Biden administration takes their foreign policy stance in the coming weeks, although it seems like they are prepared, more than in previous administrations, to discipline Russia if evidence suggests they weren't playing by the rules. The assassination attempt on Navalny isn't the only issue on the administration's radar. Investigations have continued over the Russian hacking of the United States government, one that the New York Times argues is, quote, the most sophisticated hacking of government and corporations in history. The perpetrator is suspected to be the SVR, the country's external intelligence agency. And depending on the findings, the Biden administration could well enforce new sanctions or take even more extreme measures to hold Putin and other top officials accountable. In fact, the New York Times reports that, quote, While most presidents have come into office declaring they would seek a reset of relations with Russia, Mr. Biden has done the opposite. He has warned that Mr. Putin is driving his country into an era of authoritarianism and has promised to push back on human rights violations and efforts to destabilize Europe. Now focusing on the topic of climate change, an issue that has lost a lot of attention given the emphasis on other more immediate issues like the coronavirus and the struggling economy. For some context, Trump, once elected to office, lowered a measure of the economic cost of greenhouse gases, known as the social cost of carbon. This made it difficult for climate action to be taken and downplayed the catastrophic impacts of climate change. This past February, the Biden administration restored the social cost of carbon to Obama-era levels. However, scientists say the price could be raised even higher. Heather Bushi, a member of the Council of Economic Advisors, responded to these concerns in a blog by saying that, quote, we are quickly restoring the prior estimates as an interim step. If the social cost of carbon does continue to raise, it could be huge for climate progress. According to Politico, it could give Democrats ammunition to fight for taxes or other fees to curb climate change. Furthermore, states, municipalities, and other governing bodies also could incorporate the federal number for the social cost of carbon into their decision-making. Also in climate news, the Biden administration is pushing for the establishment of an 800-megawatt wind farm off the coast of Martha's Vineyard, in addition to some smaller wind farm projects off the coasts of Rhode Island and Virginia. This is in line with Biden's pledge to eliminate carbon from the power sector by 2035. Project leaders of the Martha's Vineyard Wind Farm say that it will provide clean electricity to power more than 400,000 homes, create thousands of jobs, 
and reduce electricity rates by $1.4 billion over its first 20 years of operation. In other news, the Senate has confirmed Cecilia Rouse, a labor economist who also serves as a dean of Princeton's University School of Public and International Affairs as a chair of President Biden's Council of Economic Advisors, making her the council's first black director in history in an affirming vote of 95 to 4. During her testimony, Rouse highlighted the opportunity the pandemic presents to revitalize and reorient the economy despite its inherent challenges, saying that, quote, as deeply distressing as this pandemic and economic fallout has been, it is also an opportunity to rebuild the economy better than it was before, making it work for everyone by increasing the availability of fulfilling jobs and leaving no one vulnerable to falling through the cracks. Two of Biden's nominees for key positions in the Department of Justice, Vanita Gupta and Kristen Clark, are receiving significant pushback from Republican lawmakers. Gupta has been nominated for Associate Attorney General, while Clark has been nominated for the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division. The two women of color's rocky road to approval is markedly different from that of Merrick Garland, who is Biden's pick for Attorney General and is expected to win bipartisan support for the position. Gupta recently apologized for her, quote, harsh rhetoric over the years, though she did not specify precisely which statements, most likely tweets, she regretted. During her Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, Gupta said, quote, I think the rhetoric has gotten quite harsh over the last several years, and I have fallen prey to it, and promised that if confirmed, she would not use such rhetoric again. Gupta underscored the importance of additional opportunities, saying, quote, I'm a believer in second chances and redemption, and I would ask for that today. The House recently passed a bill titled Protecting the Right to Organize Act, which makes unionization more accessible for workers and also neutralizes right-to-work laws, which allows workers to choose whether they want to join a union or not in 27 states. Chances of the bill passing in the Senate, however, remain pretty slim. The bill's passing in the House marks a step forward in the Biden administration's larger project of empowering workers, strengthening the right to unionize, and working to undo the systemic injustices of economic and racial inequality in this country. President Biden said on Tuesday that, quote, as America works to recover from the devastating challenges of deadly pandemic and economic crisis and reckoning on race that reveals deep disparities, we need to summon a new wave of worker power to create an economy that works for everyone. And that's it for today's podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode as we continue to cover all things related to the Biden administration and provide analysis on key developments throughout the week. How will the early implementation of the stimulus package pan out? How will protecting the right to organize act be received in the Senate? Will there be updates on foreign policy, particularly relating to Russia and Navalny? We're as curious as you are to find out. And with that, I'm Emmy. I'm Fawaz. And this has been HPR Talks The First 100. Until next time.